You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Hey, 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 and welcome everybody. Yeah, welcome. Good morning. So glad you're here. If this is your first time at Mosaic, as always, we sure hope it's not your last. Hey, next week is going to be something really cool. If you've been around, you know that uh, every year we have what's called our back to school service. You may have heard about it, back to school Sunday. It's always a really fun, high energy, who knows what's going to happen kind of Sunday, yeah. So I hope you're ready for it. Special music, videos, a dance, some interviews with students and educators who are all facing a really challenging moment right now. We'll hear from them. It's going to be great, and I hope you will join us as well. And like you saw in the video, we are in a series called Differently the Same, where we're looking at how we can connect our same core values at Mosaic to our current cultural moment and see what God's doing in the middle of that. We're looking at our core values of worship, community and mission, worship, the life of Abraham, community through the life of Moses, and mission to the life of Elijah. Three weeks, each value. Welcome to here today, week two, worship and the life of Abraham. And now we're all caught up to speed. Very good. Uh, Very good. Here we go. So our scripture reading today is going to be from Genesis chapter 15. You can follow along here on the screen or in your Bible. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my house will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. And when the sun had set, and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land. Amen. And amen. Amen. You know, by all accounts, and I think we all know this and feel this, we are in a tough spot today, are we not? 
We're in a tough spot. And you can see this just about everywhere. Uh, for example, I read the, this week that in just this calendar year alone, there have been roughly 4,000 reports of bad behavior from airline passengers. Yeah. And almost one in five of those has been a physical attack on a flight attendant. Yeah, it's gotten so bad. Some airlines have announced they're going to stop serving alcohol back in coach. <laughs> no more for y'all, right? So much for flying the friendly skies, right? Uh, you can see this uh, also in school board meetings right now where angry parents are screaming at, threatening to assault school board members and one another. I mean, this is almost as bad as Little League baseball games I've been to. The parents. Actually, it might be worse. You can see it on community message boards. I was talking with a uh, member here at Mosaic who's a, a school teacher, a middle school teacher, and she told me last week, she says that the community message boards at our school are so toxic right now. She said, quote, no one is nice to anyone anymore. Hmm. Our collective cultural anxiety has reached a fever pitch. It's at pandemic proportions. And right now, we are not a good look. Not. What can be done? Psalm 94, 19 says this. The psalmist writes this, writes this. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me. He's saying, God, it's like my anxiety is having anxiety babies. It's like my, all my anxious thoughts are like multiplying. My anxiety is mating with one another. Like anxiety aunties and anxiety uncles and anxiety grandkids are multiplying within me. And though that's happening, when that happens... Your consolations delight my soul. In other words, the antidote to anxiety that the Christian community has always offered is this. Psalm 94 shows us. It's a connection with God or more specifically, something called worship. Worship. Now, before you check out today and accuse me of like taking the easy way out or like the cultural cliche, church cliche, you know, way out, I'm going to show you, I hope, why not only is worship not the easy way out, but why it's also the hardest way out, but it's also the best way out. The easy way out of anxiety, come on, could just be to check out, tune out, drop out. But for Christians, we're called to worship our way out of anxiety into a point of confidence. How can we do that today? That's my question. How can we worship our way to a point of confidence even in crisis? I'm trying to give you and unpack three words today. Honesty, violence, uh-oh, and gospel. Honesty, violence, and gospel. And now that I hope I've got your attention, let's go. All right, worship looks like each of these. First, it looks like, from this passage, it looks like honesty. And specifically, worship looks like emotional honesty with God. Worship looks like emotional honesty with God. What's happening with Abraham right here? All right. Well, last week, if you were here, we saw how God had rescued Abraham from a physical dead end, uh, from a life, excuse me, from a spiritual dead end, from a spiritual dead end of a life of worshiping the moon, worshiping false idols. And we saw how he had promised to rescue Abraham from a physical dead end as God had promised to give him and his wife, Sarah, a child of their own. They were in their 70s and 
childless. And then again, in the previous chapter, you can read it for yourself, chapter 14, God had rescued Abraham once again, this time in a kind of battle. As Abraham had gone to war against some tribal chieftains to rescue his nephew Lot from like a Liam Neeson type hostage situation, Abraham goes in there and God rescues him and all that. And so Abraham here, chapter 15, he's fearing reprisal from these warlords in his tribe, eat tribe world. Abraham's afraid again. And so God's coming to him again, speaking to him again, as it seems audibly again. And God says, do not be afraid, Abram. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. Don't be fearful. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. And this, of course, and we read it, it sparks this whole fascinating conversation between Abraham and God, in which Abraham says stuff like, okay, God, that's cool. You're my reward, but what about that child you promised me? When's that happening? How is that happening? Are you really going to come through for me? And we do this, of course, right, too. God says, I'm your reward. We're like, that's cool, God. What about a boyfriend? One billion men alive in the world, can't find one for me? (laughs) Girlfriend, two, come on, same thing. Then God says, why, yes, Abraham, I am going to come through for you, my son. Let's go outside and have a little astronomy object lesson, shall we? Abraham, look up and count the stars now, (coughs) if you can, (coughs) because you can't, but I have. And I say your descendants will be like that, like stars in the sky, you can't count them. And Abraham says, okay, God, I believe you. And God says, that's great. Finally, I mean, why wouldn't you, Abraham? After all, I am the God who's like rescued you repeatedly up to this point. Not only am I gonna give you a son, since we're at it, I'm gonna give you land, this land, because I promised to make you into a great nation, Abraham, and you need two things to have a big family. You need lots of kids and a yard. And so, you know, you need children and a land, and I'm going to give both to you. And now, just when you think Abraham's anxiety, all his future worry, is about to ratchet down, spiral down, cycle down, he comes back around yet again with this. But Abram said, Oh, sovereign Lord, how can I know? that I'll gain possession of it. In other words, Abraham here in this passage incessantly, chronically, repeatedly doubts. Doubts God. Doubts God again and again. Are you like sure, God? How can I trust you, God? What about this God? How can I know for sure? And what does God do with Abraham here? Does he like flick him on the ear? (laughs) Like banish him to the outer rim. Star Wars fans, take, take notice. Banish him to the minor leagues of faith. Like, I'm sorry, son, give me the ball. Like your time on the mound's done, you know? Does God give him detention? Go sit in the corner for your doubt time, Abraham. No, does he move on to someone else whose faith's just a little bit stronger? No, God does something next with Abraham. It's mind-blowing. We're gonna look at it at length. But the point is, throughout all of this, God works with Abraham. When... And as Abraham doubts, God doesn't retreat from him. He moves closer and closer and closer. In other words, God meets Abraham right in the middle of Abraham's emotional honesty. 
God meets him in the middle of his emotional honesty. Let me ask you, is this how you think of a relationship with God as being? It's like you being a person who maybe has some doubts, huh? He's got questions. Do you struggle to believe in God today? Maybe you do. Your parents brought you here. You're like, I don't know. Do you struggle to believe in a, a God who cares about you? Huh? If you are, welcome. Take a number because you're in a long line of people who have had a deep relationship with God and struggled with their doubt. Look at Psalm 88. The writer here, the psalmist says this about how he feels about his lifelong relationship with God. Psalm 88, the guy writes this. Lord, from my youth... I'm like an old guy now, but from when I was a you back from even when I was a kid, I've suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and I'm in despair. He's like, God, my whole life has been a cosmic joke and you are responsible. You're supposed to be good. Some people have told me in church that you were good, but all I get from you is despair. And the psalm closes like this, final words. You have taken from me, friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. That's it. That's how Psalm 88, part of, you know, the Bible, concludes. God, darkness has been a better friend to me than you have go on. How about Psalm 22? David writes this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You say, that's just Old Testament people. Oh, it's all right, all right, let's go new. John the Baptist, Article C, <laughs> had proclaimed that his cousin Jesus was the Lamb of God, come on King James fans, who taketh away the sins of the world. Look, he said, there he is, the Lamb of God. Then John gets arrested goes to prison, suffers some, starts to doubt. Then he goes and sends his friends to ask Jesus, are you the one? <laughs> Should we expect somebody else? And Jesus called John the greatest person ever born. Thomas' own, excuse me, Jesus' own disciple, Thomas. He's like the original like OG skeptic, right? When he, told, uh, when he was told that Jesus was risen, he goes, I doubt it. <laughs> He's gonna have to prove it to me. What did God do with all the doubters incorporated, huh? Did he move away? In each case, he moved closer. Why? J.I. Packer puts it like this. Knowing God is a matter of personal dealing. Knowing God is more than knowing about him. It is a matter of dealing with him as he opens up to you and being dealt with by him. Because friends open their hearts to each other by what they say and do. We must not lose sight of the fact that knowing God is an emotional relationship as well as an intellectual and volitional one and could not indeed be a deep relationship between persons if it were not so. Some of you are in extraordinary pain today. I know this. Some of you are carrying a deep sadness you can't explain. You don't know what to do with it. Some of you are in so much anxiety about what's happening in our world around us that you're starting to feel not only disconnected from church, but disconnected from God. So I want to tell you something that I believe is hard but true. It's hard but true. That it's not our circumstances or our problems that primarily end up pushing us away from God, but it's our lack of emotional honesty with God 
that does. Say it again. It's not our circumstances or problems that push us away from God as much as it is our lack of emotional honesty with God over those things. You ever had a moment where you just ask God, God, where were you when? Hmm? God, where were you when this happened to me? Hmm? God, why did you allow that? Where were you? You abandoned me. You left me all alone right there. I look back and I see no one or nothing. You've forsaken me. Why did you leave me? God, where were you? I doubt you even care about me. Hmm? Say, well, I don't know if that doesn't sound like faith. Barbara Brown Taylor, Christian writer, author, she wrote a book, Altar in the World, says this, this is how faith looks sometimes, a blunt refusal to stop speaking into the divine silence. What's worship? Come on. It's emotional honesty with God. Why? Here's why. It's because friends open their hearts to one another. Because Abraham did this, do you know what the Bible calls him? The book of James calls Abraham? It says Abraham did this and was called God's friend. Do you feel that? Called God's friend. Is your God big enough to handle your doubts, feelings, questions? Abraham's was. And look what he got. Come on. God never rejects us for our doubts, but neither does he leave us in our doubts either. And we will come back to that. Worship looks like emotional honesty with God, number one. What else? What else does it look like? Number two, not just honesty, but the word you've been waiting for, violence. Violent, don't get nervous, don't get nervous, follow me. What does God do next? After Abraham opens his heart to him, verse nine, So, in other words, in response to Abraham's doubt, questions, feeling, anxiety, worry, pain, God said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Okay, so what's this with the animals? Well, you may not know, we may not know, but Abraham knew, and he knew right away, because you can read it, without asking, without giving God like a, what's up with the animals thing, God? He just does this, verse 10. Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other, the birds. However, he didn't cut in half. So Abraham, you can see through his actions, he knows exactly what is going on, which is this, that God was about to enter into and make a ancient Near East covenant with him, taking a cultural form Abraham could grasp. And a covenant in the ancient Near East was something unique and was performed uniquely. Today, by contrast, we live in a written culture. We, we make promises to each other. We, you know, we write them down in legalese, right? Uh, we sign them uh, and we create a form that's understandable by both parties. And that's what's happening here. Uh, but today in our written culture, again, we, we, we write these things down so that if that house builder that you contracted with it didn't come through with this special flooring you ordered right there will be a penalty imposed on the contract breaker we write down our legal promises so we can ask stuff like this oh sovereign bank <laughs> how can i know you will come through and fund my loan at closing time oh sovereign builder how can i know you will install those granite countertops in marble floors and we write these things down so that when we ask we can hold one another accountable but Abraham didn't live in a written culture. No, he lived in an oral culture with a different way to sign the contract, a different way, a storytelling kind of way. Can you see? 
to describe the penalty imposed on the lawbreaker. And the whole cutting up the pieces thing means this. It means this. If I fail to keep the terms of the covenant, may I be like these animals. If I fail to keep my promise, may I be cut up and put to death like them. You are making yourself accountable, responsible for the you know, failure to do what you said you were going to do. Now, I wonder if we did this today, if we might get, you know, better service from our banker, builder, you know, drive-through orderer. <laughs> of course, the, the banker and the builder are probably thinking, yeah, I like that too. The people may pay on time, you know, as well. That got a little too close to home for some of you. That's all right. <laughs> so on one hand, Abraham knows what is going on, that God as king is showing up and entering into a covenant with him as the vassal, all right? Except on the other hand, Abraham does not know exactly when God is gonna come, when God's gonna show up. God doesn't tell Abraham when he's gonna show up. And so once more, story of his life, Abraham is having to wait. God is waiting for something. Actually, he's waiting for the sun to go down to do something. You know, right now, God may be waiting on something to really happen, right? Before he shows up in a way you've asked him to. It's not like he's not there, not active, not present. He's just waiting. But Abraham doesn't know that. No, no. So while God is there, uh, you know, again, waiting on the sun to go down, and while Abraham is waiting for God to meet him in the middle of his doubts, in the middle of all his questions, anxieties, fears, something happens. Verse 11. It says, Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses. So these vultures scavengers show up. I want to tell you, if you try to do the same thing today, if you try to create a space for God to meet you in the middle of your questions or doubts or fears or anxiety, this will happen to you as well, like it happened to Abraham. But do you know what Abraham did? Oh, I love it. We read it. He says, but Abraham drove them away. I mean, can you imagine? Like picture your, your elderly, say, grandfather, man in his 90s, running around with a broom or a blanket or a stick, like, shoo, birds, you know, he's wearing a robe and some sandals. Get back, birds, you know, this is crazy, you know? You know that thing you, you hear a lot about animals, like, they're more afraid of you than you are of them? I don't think that's really true about vultures. Maybe you know this is to be true. I was driving the other day and some unfortunate animal had been killed or run over in the middle of the road and I was, I was driving up to it and there was this huge vulture perched on top of it, you know, having a snack. And I, I kept coming in my car towards this huge bird and the vulture didn't move. It actually looked up and stared at me. It made me slow down. I slowed to almost a stop and once I had slowed down right in front of it, it like shrugged begrudgingly flew away. The point is, vultures are no joke. They don't just go away. You have to make them go away. In other words, and therefore, worship looks like beating the birds back. Worship looks like beating the birds back. Abraham had to get, hear me, hear me, hear me, in a, in a way, violent to protect his spiritual space. And here's what I mean. Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 11 that his kingdom is breaking its way into the world. And those who grasp it, those who get it, those who want to be a part of it, are demonstrate a kind of violence in them. They go after it by force. What does that mean? That does not mean doing violence against any person 
ever in the name of God doing violence against some flight attendant who just happens to have to ask you to wear a mask, right? Or be seated. That doesn't mean doing violence against some school board member trying to do their job in the middle of crazy town, right? Or any person from any other background with whom you disagree. This does not mean you get to blow up at people on social media because you think you heard, but you didn't really hear, you think you heard that pastor at Mosaic give you permission to do so. No, that could not be farther from what Jesus is saying. He is saying his kingdom is, is about, uh, those who can grasp his kingdom, what his kingdom is about, are like people who with zeal, who with purpose, they run toward it and they grab it. Like people who have found a gold mine, they want to go and grab it and not let go of his kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. See, there's a kind of, don't get it twisted, a kind of spiritual violence, aggressiveness, a kind of defending and never giving up the space God has called to meet you in kind of worship we're supposed to live out. So let me encourage you. You're going to have to beat back the birds that come to steal your worship. And these can take a million forms. For example, when Carrie and I, uh, we were first married, we had like four babies in under five years. And if sometimes it felt like getting to church was like Abraham here, like diaper vultures, Screaming toddler, outfit changes, you know, blowouts, lots of screaming, and not just from the kids, uh, trying to get to church. We had to push our way through that. The birds today, perhaps, here's another one, of political power. Hmm? I don't mean people involved in politics. If that's you, thank you. Be that salt light. We need you so much. No, I mean voices who through fear-mongering, or through race baiting or fill in the blank kind of baiting, they want to pull your heart down into anxiety or separation from God and from his people. Hear me, those voices, they're not from God. They're just trying to raise money because you can raise a lot of money, man. Fear-mongering, demonizing, straw-manning people. They just want to get ratings, stay in power, get in power, beat those birds back. Turn those voices off. I mean, can you imagine what your day would be like if you didn't just wake up and turn on talk radio? What if you actually put on some worship music? Maybe rewatch one of our services. Maybe you read your Bible. Call a friend, a pastor. Will you pray for me? Watch how much better you feel. You don't need those voices. Listen, anxiety and fear are addictive. Let those things go. Beat back that voice. Yeah, it's flying over a culture now saying, you don't need a church, the people of God, Christians. No, you can do it all on your own. Just sit and stay, sit a while. No, that's not, that's not true. And if you know, it's not here, you can't trust here, all good, go someplace where you can believe and trust. Beat back that voice inside that says, you're a failure. You're not gonna make it. God's not gonna come through for you. Listen, that's a vulture. Come to steal your future. No, no, no. There's a kind of inner violence, inner aggressiveness it takes if you're really serious about seeking God. Because how many of you know it's cool in our culture to seek but never find, right? Doubt but never find certainty. People pat you on the back all day if you say, I'm seeking, I'm doubting, right? But if you find, if you discover the pearl of great price, very few want to pat you on the back. No, no, no. But if you're serious about God, this is what it takes to keep the space clear. So friends, beat the birds back and watch what happens next. So today, finally, if you're asking any of these questions, you're like, what about you, God? What about me, God? How can I know God? I want to tell you, there's something that God gives Abraham here in the middle of his 
emotional faith crisis to help him have confidence in his crisis and help us as well, which is this third word, not only honesty or violence, but the word gospel, gospel. You notice, by the way, at the end of this passage, there are no more questions from Abraham. You notice that, right? In other words, he's been transformed. How? It's because God, again, while working with us in our doubt, doesn't desire that we stay there. What transformed Abraham? Two things. First, what transformed him was who he saw pass between the pieces. Look at verse 12. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Here's what's happening. The sun wasn't just setting. It says this a couple of times. There's like this thick, dreadful, additional darkness that's falling on Abraham. And it says he's falling into a sleep. He fell asleep, uh, falling into a deep sleep. But yet he's awake because he can see stuff happening. Uh, He's awake, but he's asleep. In other words, he's experiencing this terrifying heaviness that's come upon him. So it's dark. Abraham's on the far end of this line of animal pieces. Then lightning, that's the blazing torch lightning flashes holds its form against the darkness and the smoke starts moving towards him this is what's called a theophany an appearance of God in the Hebrew scriptures Old Testament and what's appearing here are the consistent emblems of God's direct presence and glory same stuff on Sinai right we'll see that I hope in a couple of weeks in that moment God appears and holds again his form, and God goes through the pieces. Why is this stunning? Here's why. Because in this type of covenant between a king and a subject, it was common for the subject to go through. Rarely, if ever, the king. Why? Well, the king held all the power, right? So if the subject wants access to the power, the subject's got to take upon himself, herself, the responsibility, the oath to pay the penalty. But that's not what happens here. God himself, the ultimate power, passes through the pieces. And God is saying, Abraham, therefore, if I don't bless you, if I don't keep my promise to you, may I be torn in two. May I be killed. May I be cut off. May my, catch this, immortal self become mortal. May I become like a human and be put to death. That's part of what gave Abraham confidence in his crisis. But that's not the only thing that gave Abraham confidence in his crisis. What gave him confidence was the second thing. It's actually what he didn't see. Because he saw who didn't pass between the pieces. Verse 18, the passage concludes. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Again, after God goes through, here it is, the covenant's made. It's signed, sealed, delivered. It's his. But how can that be? Because after all, it takes not one, but two parties to ratify a covenant. One party's gone through. One party's signed. What about the other? Oh, what would have stunned Abraham even more than God passing through the pieces is that Abraham didn't pass through the pieces. God didn't call him. Didn't make him stand up and say, get on your feet, son. You know, I've done my part. Now you do yours. No, Abraham does doesn't go through it all and yet the covenant the forever sworn covenant is signed sealed and only God has gone through what does this mean it means this it means that God is saying to Abraham 
I will pay the penalty if I fail to keep the terms of the covenant. And I will pay the penalty if you fail to keep the terms of the covenant. Abraham, I swear to keep my part even if it kills me. And I swear to keep your part even if it kills me. Oh, but, but how could this be? How could God become human and die like this? It's because centuries later, God through Jesus fulfilled this terrible oath of grace. On the cross, when Jesus of Nazareth died, what do you have? Come on, again, you've got this darkness falling, so dark it's pitch black in the middle of the day, and the fire of God, his holiness, comes down and passes between the pieces, in a way, of his son. Jesus was cut, he was torn. Isaiah 53 says he was cut off from his people, and Jesus cried out, Point-blank honesty, my God, why have you forsaken me? So, why did God forsake Jesus? Why was the Son of God cut up, off, and crucified? He did it so that God could fulfill his promise to Abraham then and to us Abrahams, us doubters today, so that we could know even when we don't fulfill our promise to God, God always keeps his promise to us. He did it so that when you today, if you're asking this, oh, sovereign Lord, how can I know you'll save me? How can I know that you'll keep your promise to me? How can I know that you love me? He can say, look, look at what I've done for you. There are no lengths to which I haven't gone to tell you I love you. There's no end to my grace for your life. There's no terrible place that you been to no dark hole you've been down I haven't been to first this I swear by myself come on I swear by myself that I love you and when I said you were worth dying for I meant it look at my oath in Abraham see it fulfilled in Jesus and let your heart take hope I'm the God he says who passed between the pieces friends I want to tell you there is no other faith like this in the world God who does this. There's no better anchor you can have for your soul than this. There's no better place to begin to maybe even, yeah, move out of your fears and anxiety than this. As we close, let me ask you three questions. First, are you today, are you being emotionally honest with God? You're bringing your stuff to him, not just stuffing it down, are you? Second, are you, while you're waiting for God maybe to meet you in the middle of your question and doubt fear, are you doing your part, what you can, to keep that space clear? And finally, have you seen this before? And if you have, will you keep looking at the gospel as your anchor in the storm? Doing all this, friends, is what we call worship. Worship. Let me take a moment and pray for you and we'll hopefully we'll allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you, I hope to your heart for just a moment. Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for this today. Your faithfulness toward us, we see it in Abraham, we see it in a greater way in Jesus and we thank you for it. And Lord, I'm praying for us today, for those of us who have never been maybe that honest with God. I pray that that gap that we perhaps feel you provoke and prompt us to fill with our honesty before you. Maybe even you've allowed some things in our lives to cause us to cry out in pain to you. Lord, I pray we would be friends with you and open our hearts to one another. 
second, if you're here and you're, you're saying, you know, I, I need to do a better job of keeping that space clear, that's me. But just take a moment and imagine maybe even your day tomorrow, getting up, doing something different, keeping that space clear. Saying yes to this, no to that. And finally, if you could, in your mind's eye here to picture the God who passed between the pieces is an anchor for you going beneath the waves, catching on the rocks below and holding you, holding you. Lord, let your great love for us hold us and keep us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.